yourself. Um, Nick may reference that at different times, but I, I, I want you, you know, I do this to you every Sunday. I want you to have this word in your hand. These are not uh, just words on a page that, have, that were written thousands of years ago. This word is for you today. And, and this, this, this psalm is going to stick out today in, in ways unlike you've ever experienced, I believe, this morning. I got, a, I, got a, I got this psalm in my heart. I got a song as well that I've been singing. Um, we're going to play this song at the conclusion of service um, while we sign, our, uh, sign the book and take communion. And that song is, simply says, Yes, I Will. And that's the, the title of today's message for Reaffirmation Sunday 2019. Yes, I will. Now, we're going to need everybody to wake up a little bit. I'm going to need your help this morning. And so we're going to have a little bit of audience participation. So if I, if I ask a question like, will you, your response would be, yes, I will. Okay. Now, you don't have to answer, yes, I will, if your answer would be no. But most of these questions I'm going to ask you today would be pretty easy. So I'm just going to get you warmed up first. Okay. Just some examples, and I'll see if I can take care of this later, but probably not. All right, like, I have one extra hot fudge sundae. Will you eat this hot fudge sundae? Yes, I will. Thank you. That was very quick. I appreciate that, Cheryl. Um, we charged you too much for this, sir, ma'am. Uh, will you receive this $400 refund? I have two Garth Brooks tickets, and I'm not going to be able to use them. Uh, will you take these and go to the concert in my place? All right, we all got some friends in low places, I guess, so... So get your Bible out, open to Psalm 23, and we're going to start right here at verse 6, and then I'm going to get into this whole text, okay? In verse 6, as Rod just concluded, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And if you will let me add the word yes there, the next line will be, and yes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is loaded with confessions of spiritual maturity. I want you to understand when I say that this morning, it's, I'm saying that as, as, as a pastor, as someone, someone just like, just like you, that realizes I haven't arrived at the level of maturity, spiritual maturity that David confesses in this passage, this, this, this psalm is loaded with revelations of spiritual maturity. Now, when, when, when on this passage, we, we have to take a look at this and take a step back and recognize that we still need to grow spiritually. The Lord is not done with, with us yet. David is a man who had a great many ups and downs in his life. The guy killed thousands of men with his own hands. Anybody else could say that this morning? Okay, I, I didn't think so. The, he, he had the whole nation chanting his name. He was anointed as a young child to be the king of all of Israel. He, 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 was, he was still renowned as the greatest king of all of Israel. I would call those some ups, right? Some ups in his life. But he also made some really bad mistakes that caused a nation trauma. He, he, he saw his own kids die. He, he made mistakes that others felt as well. So he, also, he had people, not just people saying bad things about him, but he had people that were trying to kill him. 
those are some lows. And through the midst of those experiences, David can make these confessions, and we're going to just see, of spiritual maturity. Some things he has come to understand about his relationship with the Lord. So when I read this passage, this Psalm 23, I'm reminded that I need to grow up. And I I believe, if you will agree with me, that we all need to grow up. Well, I I need to grow, Pastor. I'm I'm a civilized Christian. I've been sitting in this seat for the last four or five years. I've been coming to church. I know what I'm supposed to do. I need to grow. I don't know about growing up, though. We all need to grow up in the Lord. Do you understand me this morning? So if so, say, yes, I will. And Because this psalm is ready to speak to you. But nothing will ever get in if you have the attitude as if you've arrived. You've closed off your doors to the voice of God. And this word is here for you today to bring transformation, to bring growth, to bring power in your life today. And you can walk out of these doors this morning and never be the same. But at the end of the day, that will always be your choice. And so let's open up our hearts to the word of God this morning as we read through Psalm 23. Lord, we need you more than we need ourselves. Lord, we need you more than we just need a Sunday morning message. We need to let your spirit speak through us through the revelation, these biblically true, authentic revelations that came to King David as he walked through the lows and walked through the highs of life and came to understand some clear truths about the presence of God, about the purpose of God, about the power of God. And he made a choice of how he will live, where he will dwell, and who he will dwell with. Soften our hearts on this Reaffirmation Sunday to make the same decision as King David and be empowered to be a next generation of Christ followers, to pass on to the next generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Well, when he says the Lord is my shepherd, I don't think, it, uh, you, quickly I hope you recall that David himself was a shepherd. And so there is, he's, he's understanding the Lord in relationship to the, the, the first occupation that David had. If you remember the stories of what David said before he went to, to fight Goliath, they said, you know, what qualifications do you have, David? Well, excuse me, you know, when a bear went after my sheep, you know, I took my slingshot and destroyed the bear. Yeah, okay, I guess you're qualified. Go ahead, see, see what can happen. Even as a shepherd, he had some experience fighting battles. But, but David is, is quickly making this parallel that the Lord is someone who is, is like his shepherd. Now, here's the thing that he says next in this passage. He says, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Now, come on, let's be really honest this morning about how we feel about what our perspective is today. Because I don't know, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not like me, but I walk into to, to, on a Sunday morning and I wake up and I notice all the things that I lack, that I need, that I don't have. Anybody else feel that way? There's some things that we lack. So now I want you to recognize that this statement is a statement of spiritual maturity. It doesn't matter how much money we make. Even King David, who had a lot of stuff, and even the people who are the wealthiest in our country, do you think they can make that confession 
that they lack nothing? No, they're still wanting more. They're still finding ways to buy more, to spend more. They're, they're still consumed with greed, and they're constantly consumed with more. So again, we have to take a step back and realize how incredibly profound this simple statement was by King David. I lack nothing. I have everything that I need. We've preached on this in many weeks in the past about there has to come a point in our life where we realize it's time to start consu- stop consuming and start giving. The Lord has given me everything that I need. Sure, there's always something we're going to need tomorrow. There's always more that we wish we'd have. But, but let's have some reverence for this moment that we have been given everything that we need today to do what we are called to do in such a time as this. What a profound statement that he makes. I lack nothing. Here's what he says next, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. If you have a child that's, you know, an infant to about seven, eight years old, you understand the idea of making them lie down. They're not going to go to bed by choice. If you have a child, son or a daughter that does that, that is amazing. You've done a wonderful job as a parent, and you can pat yourself on the, head, on the back when it comes 8.30 or 9 o'clock. Um, Mom, um, it's my bedtime. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go to my bed now. That just doesn't happen, does it? Okay? Now, so we understand making them lie down, okay? You don't understand. You need to lie down, not only because you need to get some rest, but mom and dad need to get get away from you for just a few moments just before we go to sleep, okay? We understand making them lie down. But let's remember, that's what David says about the Lord. This is a grown man making a confession about the Lord that you make me lie down in green pastures. See, we all have an under, we all have rest that we want. We know, we know that we know that we need rest, that we want rest. We just want that quick one hour nap and, and for everybody to leave us alone. We just want to be able to sleep in a little bit longer. We just we want to be able to maybe go to bed a little bit sooner. We, we have rest that we want, but I don't believe that that's exactly what David is talking about here. Because he says, make me lie down. Make me slow down when I don't want to. Make me experience what it's like to not see progress. To not see that tomorrow might be better than today. To not know what's next. He makes me experience a time of no progress. A time when things need to slow down so you can recognize where you are. You can embrace what you have and be prepared for what is next. And where does he make him slow down? It says green pastures. Anybody know what sheep eat? One of the primary things that sheep eat? Grass. In a place where they have all of the stuff that they need. As he says in the first passage, I lack nothing. You need to slow down. Someone that needs to hear the voice of the Lord today. We are so consumed with what is next. We are so consumed with progress, and we want to see progress, but whether you like it or not, the Lord is going to make you lie down at times. And your call is to recognize the same revelation that King David had. I've got everything that I need. The Lord is with me. The Lord is present. 
I don't see what's going to happen next, but I'm going to enjoy this moment. I'm going to embrace this moment. I'm going to embrace today. He leads us beside quiet waters, a place where we can be refreshed and not have to be consumed with what is next and not have to worry. But next verse, verse 3, it says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. For whose namesake? For his namesake. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake, for his purposes. We, we're teaching, um, Wednesday night, we're teaching the youth out of Genesis 41, which is the story of Joseph. There were two Josephs in the Bible. There was the two most common Josephs in the Bible. Um, the, the, of course, the Joseph, Mary, and Joseph, who gave birth to Jesus, and not Joseph, Mary, okay? And then you have um, the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph was one of the sons of of Jacob. He's, he's the story of how he had a dream and God gave him, what did he give him, um, Allison? He gave him a robe of what? Addison, many different, many colors. He gives, he, and, and so Jacob kind of had this jealousy, or not jealousy, he had this thing where it seemed as if he liked Joseph a lot better. And Joseph told everybody of his dreams and when he told his brothers about his dreams, they, they basically put him up, they sold him into slavery to Ishmaelites. And then eventually he got out of slavery because he started working for a Potiphar and was doing such a great job that the Potiphar promoted him to the head of his household. And then, then he got falsely accused of some things and he found himself in a prison. And so while he's in this prison, he, he interprets the dream of this cupbearer and this baker. And, it's, and Joseph has an idea of how he can get out of prison. And his idea is that, hey, I'm going to interpret your dream, but go and tell Pharaoh who I am and tell him what I'm doing here in prison and how I'm helping in so many ways and tell him that I'm the one that interpreted your dream. Well, in Genesis 41, the story picks up. Both of those two, they get their dreams interpreted and they they get out of jail. In Genesis 41, the story picks up and it says two years later. That means it took two years for either one of them to mention who Joseph was and that there was this Hebrew that interpreted dreams. Now, I say that because Joseph had an idea, but God had a plan. Now, we need to understand a few things about God. First of all, the third one's the most important, but here's the first one. God loves you. I don't care whatever you've experienced, whatever you're going through. Some, somebody needs to be reminded of that this morning, that there is a God that is ardently, passionately in love with you. And there is nothing you can ever do to separate yourself from the love of God. The second thing is that the Lord wants what is best for you. He does want what is best for you. Okay, but, but we get those two kind of confused when we, when we think about the third one. The third one's really important. Okay, here's what it is. You are not God. He is. So ultimately, God's plans aren't really ultimately about you. They're about him. But two is still true. He wants what's best for you, and he loves you. So the reason that's relevant to this story is because Joseph had an idea. He had an idea about how he could get out of prison, but he was really confused when his idea wasn't working. He knows that God has a promise for him that one day everybody's going to bow down to him. And, and he doesn't know how, he doesn't know how it's going to work, but hey, he has an idea. How is this going to be part of your fulfillment while I'm here in prison? Joseph had an idea, but God had a plan. 
Because on one day, minutes later, he gets hauled into the courts. Two years later, the cupbearer remembers this guy who interpreted his dreams. I had my youth act this out. They carried this guy in from prison. They were like dragging him. And they walk him in as a prisoner. Joseph interprets the dreams. And Pharaoh decides that this guy is the only one in all of Egypt. That he's the one that needs to run our country. So about 15 minutes from the time one guy comes in and chains, he's promoted to the number two person in all of Egypt. You ever catch that? About 15 minutes, you're going to go from being in prison to being the number two person in all of Egypt. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that we have ideas, but God has plans. His ways are higher than ours. And his plan did not have everything to do with Joseph getting what he wanted, but this promotion brought forth salvation for the nation of Israel. It brought forth reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, and it brought forth this testimony of the living God to be passed on from generation to generation because one man continued to say, yes, I will, to the living God. And so back to Psalm 23. He says, he guides me to the right paths for his name's sake. Now I want to jump into the next verse because that's relevant to the next one. And it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, your King James has the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I'm going through a dark place, you know what I do to myself? I get real analytical and I start wondering, Okay, why am I going through this? Why did this happen to me? I start wondering, did I make the decision? Did I make this wrong decision? Did I do something stupid to put myself in this situation? God, are you doing this to me? And I can go back and forth between those two things, and I can drive myself crazy. Because I don't know why this is happening to me. Why am I going through this? I could say why a million times, and I still don't have the answer. Someone Someone texted me this verse this morning. And this, is, this verse is actually the answer to that why. Here's what it says in Romans 11.33. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. One of you texted that to me this morning. I don't, I don't even know if you know why, but the Lord spoke to you through that verse. And now... I want you to understand that that is the answer to all my analytical, all those questions of why. Here's what. Here's the answer. You're not going to know. But here's the revelation that David came to. He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, what does he I will fear no evil. What does he say next? For you are with me. In the midst of his darkest season, A man of God can make a spiritually mature statement and say, I see the living God. And this next one, it even blows my mind even more. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, first of all, those two words, I had to study this, and not too many commentators wanted to make mention of this, but this is, they do what preachers do all the time. It's the same word that means the same thing. Like I say, you hear me say, this is the most awesome and most amazing thing ever happened. Those two words really mean the same thing, but I say it twice for greater emphasis. That's what David's doing here. Rod and staff, same thing. It's that one shepherd, the hook that, that a shepherd carries. And what he does, of course, with the rod, part, with, that, with the rod, is he 
you know, points the sheep in the right direction. But every once in a while, he has to use the hook if he needs to extend further and pull someone, pull a sheep back in another direction. Just a simple tool that was created, used uh, many years ago for shepherds. Now, David's statement about your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's in a dark season and can recognize that you're with me and you're going to use this for your glory. You're going to do something uncomfortable in my life. I am not going to like it, but it's going to make me better. It's going to make me fall in line with your will, with your path. I don't know if you're getting it. See, I can't, I can't do that. I can't be in this dark season, annoying season, and wonder what's next and ask all those questions why and then take a, all, all of a sudden take a step back. God, you're using this for your purposes. You're going to make this better. I am comforted in knowing that you are doing something in my life right now. This is the statement that King David makes. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're doing something in me in this moment. Here's what verse 5 says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I talked to, uh, I, I, I've been, we've been doing this, I've been sharing this illustration time and time again to these two tables and it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up this week. So this week I I, I talked to an artist, and I'm going to have him make this picture for me of these two tables. But remember, the table of grace and the table of garbage. The Lord prepares a table before you in the midst of your most challenging seasons, in the presence of your enemies. A table is just really, this is symbolic of, of abundance, of intimacy with the living God in the midst of any and every circumstance. The Lord desires fellowship, desires to bless you in the midst of anything that you are going through. He prepares a table before you and anointing is preparation for ministry that God is going to use you in the midst of this trial. God is going to do something uh, significant in your life and your, your voice, your power, uh, the, the lifestyle that you live is going to impact others in the midst of your enemies. And then he said, my cup overflows. Symbol as well of abundance. And then finally, here is the yes, I will part. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely your goodness and love will follow me in all the days of my life. And yes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to catch this. Now, some scholars will try to talk about this was, and I don't even know why, how this even happens, but they try to talk about how David was talking about the temple that one day he would build. He would build, excuse me. The temple did get built through Solomon, which was his son that was the next king of Israel. But you look, this whole psalm has been a metaphor. He has a metaphor of, of a shepherd. He has the metaphor of following a shepherd. He has the metaphor of, of a table and a feast being prepared before him. So this is still metaphoric language. And let's think about what, what's the confession that David is making. He just, he just gives this image of God placing a table before him in the presence of his enemies and having intimacy with him, 
having this relationship, this abundance, this blessing, this table of grace right now in your life, in the midst of the stuff you don't understand, that you don't know what's going to happen next, that he's making you lie down in places that you're uncomfortable with when you want to move on. And David makes another spiritually mature statement. And he says, yes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the place that I am going to reside. It's uncomfortable when my shepherd makes me lie down. It's uncomfortable when we walk through the darkest valleys, the valleys of the shadow of death. But yes, I will remain here. Yes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Last week, I I preached a message called, We Are a Church. So you know what the New Testament translation of this? David says, yes, I will dwell in the presence of the Lord. But in the New Testament, the presence of God resides in us. See, here's what Scripture says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. In Ephesians 2, 21 through 22, a text we shared last week. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to be together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Remember, the church is not this structure. Nowhere in Scripture do they talk about a church being a building with walls, with stained glass, with pews, with microphones, with with flat screen TVs. It's not in Scripture. What is the church? What? The people. The presence of God dwells in you. So on a reaffirmation Sunday, yes, you're you're reconfirming your membership in West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. But I hope in moments like this, you sense a much greater call than that. Text I just read, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place where the living God dwells. Yes, I will allow the presence of God to live in me. Yes, I will. Now, This, you are the place where God resides. Now, so here's what I want to do. At this time, I want to ask our deacons to come forward and prepare for communion. We're going to play this song that, and just not yet, Nick, in just a minute, that I have not been able to get out of my head, and the song is simply called, Yes, I Will. And this song is so much like Psalm 23. It's a confession of praise in the midst of stuff we don't understand. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. I want you to understand something before you come forward. Part of what it means to be the church, a big part of what it means to be the church, is to be the church even when it doesn't feel good. To be a man, to be a woman of God, even when it's not comfortable, even when it doesn't make sense. And there's something about what happens when you begin to give God glory with your lips, with your life, um, with, with all that you do, that breakthroughs begin to happen. And not because... Not because you, you practice the right formula, but because the living God resides in you and you are aligning yourself with the plan of God and not the plan of man. 
And so our confession today as we come forward is that, yes, I will. We're going to put the, the lyrics to that song on the screen. You're welcome to sing as you're coming forward. And again, um, after you uh, partake of communion this morning, there, our book is right over here. Um, you'll just sign your name on the book. It's your reaffirmation of membership. If you are not a member, you can choose to not sign the book. But if you are not and you do sign, I'm going to take that as a sign that you want to be part, a member of our church and I will be in c- contact with you, okay? So you'll make your way here and then to the books and there's a gift for you uh, before you leave today as well, all right? So before we conclude and sing this song, I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone that has come this morning. And now in this place, may our hearts say, yes, I will. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, I will allow the presence of God to live in me. That comes from my yielding. That comes from every moment that I don't understand, but I say yes anyway. Yes, I choose to worship. Yes, I choose to serve. Yes, I choose to to forgive others. Yes, I choose reconciliation. Yes, I choose healing. Yes, I choose to, uh, to, to give of what I have been given even when I don't understand. Lord, your church, the presence of God dwells in the hearts of these men and women standing right in front of me, sitting right in front of me. And now in this place, with great reverence, may we partake of your cup, of your bread, and place a signature that reminds all of us that we are still in this together. We are the church of Jesus Christ, called to be the light of the world, in this community, in this state, in this country. So your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nick's going to play that song, and as you're you're ready, you're welcome to come forward and partake of communion. I'll be standing right over here to the left. If you would be in need of prayer, it would be my great privilege to pray with you this morning.
Lisa, show me bank. You still have nothing? nothing? All right, before we pray, look, we serve a living God, and these things, happen, uh, I, these things happen a lot more often, and we don't talk about them as much as we should. Um, Lisa came up for prayer. She's in a lot of pain in two or three different ways, and I just asked her to sit. She, she experienced the pain when she sits down and when she stands up. Um, well, what's going on, Lisa? I don't have any. She came up this morning and asked for prayer, and, and she's walking away without any pain. And that's because we serve a living God. So some of you, well, we need to give God the glory for that he is the living God and able to heal. Thank you. Us, where, where do you usually experience it at? I have torn meniscus in both my knees from jumping in a car while it was going away from me. And uh, I have to lose weight for it to get better before anything else can happen. And I struggle with that when you can't run anymore and you can't walk. Yeah. And well, when I sit down and get up is when I have to wait for my feet to get under me. And I watched her. She went back to her seat. She's still getting up and standing. I was like, wait a second. I don't have any pain anymore. Amen. Well, Lord, we believe in this next report. We believe that you are a God that is a healer. And in moments like this and moments of faith, that your people believe and trust in you, that, this, that you are present in the midst, and all we have to do is ask. And so, Lord, I pray for the next report that Lisa gets from a doctor. I pray for tomorrow, for the rest of this day, she would continue to testify of who you are, and you would reign in her body. Your will be done. As we say, yes, I will, we find that you, that you are the healer. You make us lie down. You take us through uncomfortable moments, but you also remind us that you have a plan. You are the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. All right. I guess I'm done. All right. Let's, let's one more time. Let's give, the Lord a, let's give the Lord some praise. Amen.
Dear God, we ask that you bless these our gifts, that they might enrich the work of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, um, before the benediction, we'll have a quick prayer for the meal. Is there any instructions for our potluck meal? The people that I would have instructed. Oh, Jill's right there. Any instructions or anything? Just come down, get in line to the left. All right. Okay. All right. So you can make your way slowly downstairs to the left. And once everybody's seated, uh, once everyone is seated, we'll begin our council meeting, and that will go rather quickly. All right. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for these moments. We realize we are a people that is blessed because we serve a God that is living. And may we just pinch ourselves to remind that the presence of God dwells in us, ready to move if we will only let him. So, Lord, we thank you for the food. We thank you for all the wonderful people that have prepared it and your work in their life. And now, in the name of Jesus, we give you glory. Amen. As a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, may the cry of your heart be, Yes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We'll see you downstairs. Come down and join us.